This lesson tonight is what happened when Jesus went into the home of Mary and Martha and the visit that occurred there. It begins in Luke chapter 10 with verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she should, that she should help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus, at this point, has entered in Bethany and came to the home of Martha. And we can tell it was her home. She was very likely the oldest. Came to Martha's home. She had a sister named Mary, but she also had a brother named Lazarus. This is the family of Lazarus, Jesus' friend. So they come there, and Jesus does, as you would kind of expect Jesus to do, After she had received him into her house, he sat down and began to teach. Well, you can already see the contrast as it begins to unfold because Martha was busy with all the necessary things. Nothing about what she was doing was wrong. She was up serving. She was getting food ready. She was making, she was putting things in order. And her sister, Mary, was sitting down at Jesus' feet listening as he was teaching. And you can immediately see the contest that would begin to brew. You know, Mary probably sitting at Jesus' feet thinking, why in the world is Martha in the kitchen making so much noise? Martha in the kitchen having to make so much noise so that she can make sure that she annoyed Mary properly to make sure Mary felt bad about sitting at Jesus' feet. These two sisters, uh, probably this was not uh, the only time that this had occurred. But I noticed the word... In verse 40, it says, but Martha was cumbered. In many of your your Bibles, it may actually change the word. The word means distracted. There's about three or four very poignant lessons found within this scripture. The first one is found here. Because what it actually says is that in this house, there were some very important things going on. In this house, there were some things that needed to pay special attention. In the economy of God, nothing that was going on was wrong. It was saying that there's multiple things going on within this home, each of them being in some measure good. But in the economy of God, that which was critical, that which was most important by Martha was being neglected because she was distracted. I will tell you the sad commentary of church as the spirit of religion has dictated and as we have moved into it is that the critical things of God, that which this house, this church, all churches are to be about, have largely been forgotten because we're distracted with many things. We're distracted with ministries, we're distracted with missions, and I know that sounds strange, but but they can largely become a distraction. Because this house, what God has established in His economy that is the most important is that lives are being transformed. People are being saved. People are being healed. People are being 
are being delivered, their hearts that are broken are, be, are being mended. That is in the economy of God what this is about. He came, he died, he sent a supernatural reality into these churches so that there could be a supernatural evidence of God. You remember I said it Sunday morning, that here's God and here's the world. And he placed Jesus in this odd place being fully man, never less than God, but always being man, never once functioning outside of his humanity. And what did God choose to show the world that he was different from the world? Signs, wonders, and miracles. You remove the supernatural reality from Jesus and you don't have a story. It's the supernatural reality of his life that we read about. The miracles, the words, the confrontations, the truth, all those things that come out of Jesus are teaching a supernatural reality so that the world can see the difference between the world and God. If there is no supernatural reality of healing, no supernatural reality of salvation, no supernatural reality of lives being transformed, what will be the evidence that God is God within the church? There won't be one. And church will look like any other organization just trying to do good things around their community and around the world with no supernatural reality. Those things of God, that supernatural reality, can very easily be lost in the fact that you know we have rooms that need to be painted, we have sewer problems that need to be fixed, we have remodeling that needs to be done, we have missions, we have plans, we have things that are going on, and that supernatural, supernatural reality can be quickly lost because we're distracted by the busyness of serving. Please don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with serving. There was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. But in the economy of God, she had chosen something less. She had chosen less. And she was upset about it because nobody was helping her. I don't know if you've ever met these people or not, but they hang around every now and then. And then sometimes they just kind of generally disappear. Have you ever known anybody that served God and always seemed to be angry about it? or bitter about it, or frustrated about it. It was a task that they took on, and the grumble seemed to, and complaint seemed to come with the job. Just couldn't be joyful about it. Well, Martha was greatly distracted. One of the things, and you know me well enough now, that I hope you see this, and I hope you understand the practical reality of it, that we don't do things here unless God reveals it. We're not going on mission trips. We're not, we're not starting ministries. We're not starting programs until God says yes, because if he says yes, the provision to do it is attached, and he'll take care of it. A church can become very, very quickly and easily distracted by starting things that have nothing to do with God, because then we have to give so much time and so much attention. So she was distracted, verse 40 again, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. So what does that much serving tell us? When you think of this, you can think of, uh, of Thanksgiving in some homes anyway. How many hours of preparation? At my mother-in-law's house, the preparation is phenomenal. I mean, not only for her, but there is a great preparation. And, you know, we wait and everything finally gets on the table and we eat and we enjoy it. And it's over in about 30 minutes. This is the comparison that Jesus is making. Martha, there's, you're doing way too much for the moment. 
What's needed in this moment is far less than what you're doing. The problem is, conceptually, we believe that God is pleased with the more we do. We conceptually believe that if I do more for him, if I do more in service to him, then he is more pleased. Because Martha was thinking, by the way she approached Jesus, she was thinking that Jesus would probably agree with her and think that all that serving was necessary and make Mary get up and help. She would not have approached the question had she not concluded that the serving, all the preparation, all the the extravagance of what she was doing was necessary to please Jesus. Certainly she wanted things to be right, but Jesus is saying you're not only distracted, but you're distracted to the point where this has become your primary focus. There's way too much serving going on here. Again, by any measure, he's not making any of this bad, but he is certainly recognizing that there is much service and way too much for the moment. This is why there's been some adjustment here that we do our best to not have meetings on Sunday because for years, Sundays became early morning to late night meetings, committee meetings, and you know, that Sunday was committed. So you started early and you got, you got home late and there was no family in the Sunday. That's too much serving. That was just a, a good example of how that occurs. So she came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. And you have to understand there was no sharpness in his voice. There was no belittling. There's no ridicule. I believe with all my heart as he approached her because of, of who he is and because of her heart, that every, both of those Marthas were filled with love. And he says, Martha, you're very careful. And he uses the, the word again, you're distracted. The word careful is he's talking about the inward worry or anxiety of preparation. You're very careful, making sure that everything is just right. You're very careful in, in, in your preparation. And the other one is the outward hustle and bustle of the preparation, the distraction. The scripture says you're careful and in trouble. You've got inner anxiety about how this is going to go. And you've got an outward frustration that's being expressed in the hustle and bustle of what you're trying to do. Over the last uh, six or seven years here, this picture has changed a lot. It had changed some when Dale was here. It's certainly changed a lot in the last six or seven years. And we don't live under that hustle and bustle uh, very much anymore. I can remember it in this church, and I've been parts of several others, where the greater the frenzy, the greater the activity, the more belief that God is pleased with you. And I mean, there's a determination that every day is a busy day. This is that tug of war that I speak of often when the Bible in the New Testament, not a single place, and I would encourage you to look this up yourself, that within the New Testament, there's not a single place where God tells us to do anything for him. I mean, it is absolute. There's only one that even would even be questionable of an instruction where God says, I want you to do something for me. Yet, the teaching and preaching of the modern church is the more that you do for God, for God, the happier he is with you. If you're laid back and you don't do anything, then God's disappointed. If you're very engaged and involved, that's the word. If you're involved, then God's pleased. There's nothing further from the truth. 
It is not scripturally based. There's no truth in it. That's what happened when the corporate mindset entered the church because the corporate mindset is that if you do more, then the boss will be pleased with you. That's the corporate mindset. It has infiltrated the church. The belief now is that the more you do for God, the happier he is with you. And if you do well enough, he might actually promote you. I don't know what to, but Christian first class, whatever rank there is, I'm sure you know he's got some system. Surely we can't all be the same. But within the scripture, that same books of the New Testament, if you look up how many times it says in him, about 150 to 200 times in him or in Christ or in Christ Jesus, that phrase is in there almost 200 times. So what's he trying to tell us? He's trying to say, I want you to understand these two positions. Am I going to be upset that you do something for me? No. But that in my economy is not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is that you live in me, that you take up residence within me. I want you to be as Mary was. I want you to be in in the midst. I want you to be in me. I want there to be intimacy between the two of us. I want you to conceptually understand what does it mean to be in me. You remember where this comes from. When Adam was created, he was both male and female. All things male and all things female were in Adam. Genesis chapter 5 says, and these are the generations of Adam, and it goes through this, and it says, you know, in the beginning, God created male and female, and he named them, a plural pronoun, he named them, male and female, he named them Adam. So Adam was both, male and female. So where was everything female? In him, in Adam. So when God takes it apart, takes all the female stuff out and puts it in this other body, Where was her origin? Where did she start? Where was the love that she had? Where did it begin? Where did the patience begin? Where did the virtue come from? All of it was previously in him. So that we're not good because I have to be good. I'm good because it came, because I originated in him. I'm not loving because I was taught to be loving. My love originated in him and now it's in me. So conceptually who we are originated in him. How did God get her out? What happened? He put him to sleep and he, he opened his, his side. How did it happen for us? He opened Jesus' side. When did he do it? The cross, when he stuck the spear in. Out came blood and water. It was out of that flow. Here we came, the bride of Christ. Our identity, the bride found in him. That's who we are. Originated in him. Loving because of him. His love, his patience, his virtue, his goodness, his kindness. My love, my patience, my virtue, filthy rags. I guarantee you, any woman hopes, wants for her husband to understand this so that he doesn't try to love her, which he can't do very well. We prove that over and over. But when we understand that our love originates in him and every day she encounters him in us and not us, that she's been loved by God himself. I don't know a man who wouldn't desire the recognition from his wife that his wife, the love of God is flowing through her to her husband. Because I would much rather my wife encountered Christ in me than me. I know me and I know I'm not good at this. Christ in me is really good at loving her. Really good at it. There's a powerful difference. This is what's being put on display in this story. In the economy of God, what's better? You're careful 
and you're cumbered, you're anxious, and you're busy. Again, he says about many things and much service. Too elaborate. Verse 42 says you lack one thing. Here's what was really going on. This is the best point of all. And Jesus proves it when he, he ends that verse by saying, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part. How do we know what good part it is? Because he puts a trailer, he puts a tag on this. Because she chose that which cannot be taken away from her. So whatever she chose was eternal compared to what Martha chose. So what did she choose? Well, here's the two positions. Martha was serving. That was very much about life today. It was very much about life in this moment, in her house, in this hour, getting food ready, making preparation. Everything was about life right now. Everything Mary was doing, sitting at Jesus' feet, was about life eternal. It was about investing in something that was so much greater than just the moment. Most church difficulties happen because we're frustrated over what's happening in the moment. Rarely do we have a fuss about what's happening in eternity. We're focused very much on the needs of today. And Jesus is saying what Mary has chosen hangs in this picture between those things of service that, were, that are necessary and are about today. And Jesus is, very, is in a very kind way saying, Martha, if your heart wasn't so much about the service and about the preparation and the elaborate things you're doing, you too could be here. And it actually says, I think, if I read this right, that Mary had been doing it, but she left off and came and sat. So we realize Jesus is telling Martha, you too don't have to be distracted. You don't have to be doing this much preparation. You don't have to be so focused on today that you lose the eternal perspective. In this scripture, I believe that's God's heart for us. It's like you don't have to be distracted. So many of the things that you do, believing that the church requires it, I can tell you what it looks like in churches if you've ever been in one where the preparation is too much. It's like everything is choreographed down to the inch to make sure everything goes well, to make sure it's pleasing to those who come in and are in attendance. You know, Max made a statement in, uh, in church here a few weeks ago when he preached that coming to church here is hard. You've got to want to. You've got you to put forth effort because this is not easy. And the vision that he had had that Jay shared with me later was that he had, there was pictures of treadmills in these aisles and they were running the wrong direction. They were carrying people out. So for you to want to be here, you, you had to be determined to be here because this place is not easy because it's not neat. It's not clean every week. It's not choreographed. I don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what's going to happen. Like last week, last Monday, I knew that Sunday morning was about healing, all about healing. I tried several times to change that direction, and God says, no, it's about healing. I didn't even have a scripture. I just knew it was about healing. I sat down a couple of days before I normally do in, in study and preparation, and God brought the scripture. I knew then what I was supposed to share about the man who was born blind. And I knew the message. But I knew Sunday morning here would be a healing service. That God made very clear. Some weeks is not clear at all. So we sing a song and we go home because I can't pretend I know what I don't know. I can't make this up on the fly. And I've never been to a church that functioned this way. And so I don't have anything to go by. Except what the Holy Spirit says in the moment. It's not neat. 
It's not clean. It's, it, we, we don't spend a lot of time in here practicing and making sure that we're standing in the right place and that we're choreographed and the lights drop when they need to drop and need to come back up when they need to come back up for, for some kind of effect. We don't do any of that. I couldn't even begin to do that. Remember, the economy for me in the desire to sit where Mary sits is that our focus is on those things that are eternal. Yeah, we take care of the day-to-day stuff, and this church is remarkably good at doing that. But it's never our focus. That's why in this church we don't have a budget. I say that to, to other pastors, and they're shocked. How in the world do you function when there is no budget? Well, I don't know. We've done it for almost seven years. You know, that we don't have multiple committees. We have one board of directors, and it's kind of astonishing that it works as well as it does. But what it does, it keeps us from being overwhelmed by that stuff so we're not distracted by it. It takes care of itself. It runs and it does what it needs to do so that we can focus on those things that are eternal. This is the great position that's being described here. And he says to her, the stuff that Mary chose won't be taken away from her. When you invest in the eternal, when your service before the Lord is based on having sat at his feet, to listen to that voice, to take in that truth, when that becomes your life, the Bible's very clear that every bit of that has an eternal consequence. I'm glad it's one that you understand. I'm glad it's one that conceptually you get. In most people's stories, this is what happens. You're born. At some point, you're saved. At some point, you die, and you go to heaven. End the story. That's the conceptual picture of most Christians. Born, saved, die, heaven. It's true, but not complete. Yep, you're born. And yes, by the work of the Holy Spirit that you're saved. But there's also the reality of the filling of the Holy Spirit that is demonstrated in the life that you live between the point of being saved and the point at which you die. That part, from salvation to death, that part is where the great change occurs. Because yes, we die, and yes, we go to heaven. But there's a reality waiting for us all that we're going to stand at the judgment seat, at the bema seat, and we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's not going to judge us. It's not, an, it's not a judging process at that point. When we stand on the bema seat, it's like the, the books of accounting are opened. What did you do with the life I gave you? What did you do with the spirit that I, gave, that I put inside you? What did you do in the economy of God? What did you do that was eternal? Or what did you do that was only temporary? The books will be opened, and you won't be there unless you're a Christian. But as a Christian, we're going to stand there, and what's going to be under review? When Jesus looks at that book, he's going to look into those pages, and he's going to see if he sees his face in those pages. Did he see himself? Not us working hard, not us serving. He's going to see in those books, in those pages of our story, does he see himself? From that, we go into the thousand-year reign, where some will rule and some will reign and some will serve, and and a whole new story there. At the end of that thousand years, a new heaven and a new earth after the great white throne judgment, that's getting closer to the story. That's all facing every one of us, whether we die today or we die later, before Jesus comes or leave with him at his coming. The story is much more complex than born, saved, die, heaven. Eternity matters. 
What we do with our life right now matters. Whether you want to rule and reign or whether you want to serve, whatever, you know, is being determined by the life that you live right now as a believer. Focus on the eternal. Jesus said, she's going to get to keep. Everything that's happening at th- in this day with her at my feet, that's eternal, and it will never be taken from her. Martha, your service, as important as it is, is not making an eternal difference. It's just about today. Focus on not life today, but on life itself. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and come to this passage and just see so clearly, Lord, these two positions held by these two women. You drew the distinction. You showed us the difference. And let us be focused on those things that our service be to those things eternal. Let us take care of those things necessary, Lord, that that you know are necessary. Pray, Lord, we'd never be distracted by those things that are temporary and lose sight of those things that are eternal. We speak it in Jesus' name. Amen.